know, I really wanted to start the year off with, with really talking about the Tabernacle of David and the intimacy with Jesus. And, um, and then on Thursday nights, uh, uh, Matthew is bringing an incredible, very excellently uh, delivered message on the return of Jesus. So um, I really encourage you to come on Thursday nights. It's also available online. It's, it's truly something that will grip your heart. If you don't understand the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel, and the return of Jesus and the signs of his coming, please um, um, either uh, watch online or, or come on Thursday night. Um, and we're all really enjoying it a lot. I told him, I said, oh my gosh, you're such a good teacher. He, he really is. He has a five-fold ministry gift of teaching and, and just brilliant. Um, so I wanted to continue on with the life of David. And I want to talk this morning about 12 leadership qualities that David had and also how radical his pursuit of in, intimacy was. You know, he was really touched by holy fire. And and in his life as a teenager, when he, before he was ever anointed king, think about who he was. He was just this young boy who was out guarding and, and, and shepherding the sheep. You know, even while his brothers were in war and preparing for war, and, 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 and he was out there playing um, his musical instrument and pursuing God when nobody was looking. He had an unquenchable passion and a longing in every season of his life. And that's really my desire, and that's the thing that um, continually rejuvenates my, my walk with God and, and um, is my, my confidence in understanding and the motivation of pursuit of intimacy with God when nobody else is looking. And, you know, it's this kind of love and it's this kind of life um, that keeps us between the ditches in life. There's nothing else that can satisfy us other than this level and kind of passionate intimacy with Jesus. No amount of religion, no amount of programs, no amount of, of even, you know, gatherings like this today where we all get to be together. Nothing will satisfy us other than this passion for Jesus. The power of David's life is that God looked for him. Did you ever think about that? God actually looked for him. So when Saul was up to his mischief, and he, um, and Ashley talked about Saul last week. She, she began the series on, on Saul and just how God really loved Saul. You know, God was not, um, he did not raise up someone who was evil. He really loved Saul, and he prepared Saul to be king. And when Saul really um, began to turn away from the pleasure of God and the intimacy with God and began to turn to pleasing man. When he really lost his fear of the Lord, which I believe is what happened, and really began uh, to have a fear of man, that's when the kingdom was taken from him. Because don't you know, as I've said before, I did a teaching on, on the fear of the Lord in December, you will worship what you fear. 
And that's really the power of David's life to us. So when Saul's failings as a people pleaser arised, God really began his pursuit of David. He began his pursuit of finding someone who he believed would be qualified to lead his people. So really, the qualification for leadership has more to do with intimacy and loving God than any of your skill sets, any of your talents, even any of of the, um, the gifts of the Spirit. He was looking for a man that was looking for him. The word says that he, he was searching the earth to and fro. His eyes were looking for someone who was looking at him. He was interviewing him, wasn't he? He was interviewing him for, for the position of being leader over his people. So his interview process was one that said, are you gazing at me and is your heart after mine? Because the word said that God was looking for a man and had found, he had found him. He was looking for him and he found a man whose heart was after his. A man who was, whose primary objective was, was he was passionately in love, not with the power of God, but he was passionately in love with the heart of God. And he wasn't doing it because he was trying to build a ministry. And he wasn't doing it because God commanded him and it was part of his destiny. He didn't do it because he had to build a house of prayer. He did it because he was enraptured in his heart in the wilderness when nobody saw him in love. And, he, and, 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 and we can look at the Psalms. We can look at, at, at how for the first time in the written word, we began to see a love affair and began to get a picture of God unlike we ever had. Because before that, if you look at the people of God and how they approached God, they, they didn't approach God. They were like, okay, you put somebody in between us and God. That was their whole philosophy. We do not want to go to God ourselves. And so God himself, even with the condition of the people of that age, said, I'm going to find someone that is so in love with me that that's the man whose heart then is going to be called the father of Jesus. Because Jesus was called the son of David. There were attributes that David carried. An understanding that he had about the nature of God that he wrote about. And he wrote about it in song. Because he didn't just want to tell God how much he loved him. But he said, I want to sing to you. I want to sing worship. I want my words to actually be turned to a passionate uh, song that I have written in, and, and where I've been, where I've had a revelation of your heart and your love. Amen? So God was listening to his prayer life and he was listening to his thought life. That was his interview process. 
And I believe that today, God's eyes, they are searching the earth to and fro and looking for those whose hearts are turned towards him. Because he's looking for a leadership that can begin to train his bride for the days of trouble that are ahead. And I'm telling you that he is going to be disqualifying many leaders in the days to come. Because he's not messing around. He is so violently and passionate about his son's bride that he is not going to let a prayerless leadership train them. Because he knows that it is absolutely impossible to communicate his heart without first encountering it. So isn't it interesting that David was a teenager when God chose him? And God calls him a man. He was a teenager. He was just a boy. But God said, this is a man. And he was saying, because of the way that he approaches me and because of the way that he, that that, that's his source, I see him as a man. I see him that this right here is actually a mature um, um, beginning. It is a mature um, stance that he has taken before me. So Samuel prophetically describes David as Saul's replacement, right? God described David's personality and character more than anyone else in the Bible. He did it. He described his personality and character more than Moses more than Paul, more than the apostles. He was defining, actually, the personality and the character even of his son, except, of course, for the the sin and the time that, that David fell. The first description that God gave of David is the most well known, most well known. God gave the revelation through Samuel to Saul, he gave, he said to Saul this. He said that God is, has actually called a man after his own heart. And he said this, um, that he has actually called someone who's actually your neighbor, somebody in your neighborhood. So think about that as a leader. Saul is a leader, and he knows now that someone among him has now been chosen by God to be, to, that, that he's going to raise him up over him. He said, the Lord has sought for himself someone after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander, meaning leader over his people. So he said this, leader over his people to do this, to obey the commands of God's heart. And so there was a sincerity of the intention of of, um, David 
And so God is saying that, that, that he knows that David will command, that he will command the people of God to obey God's heart. So it wasn't just his own sincerity of obedience, but he knew that, that, that David would hold his own people accountable. Don't you know that the, that the people will go the direction that the head is going? So it sets the tone for the whole people. And so David um, was very faithful, and he did this. In Psalm 101 is the clearest statement of David's practical pursuit of a hundredfold obedience in his personal life. Psalm 101, verses 1 and 4. Psalm 101 in verses 5 through 8 is him telling all of the people of Israel that their perfect obedience to God is required. And so he said, I've set a standard for myself, and and, and so therefore I'm also setting a standard for my people, and so that my people will all come under the blessings of the Lord. The other thing that he did is he studied the emotions of God's heart in intimacy and encounter with God's beauty and with his heart. Um, Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about what it would be like to study the emotions of God in the scriptures? Because Because God is an emotional God. He's not a stale, unapproachable God, but all of the emotions that we have, and women, come on, you know what I'm talking about. There is a variety of emotions, and God gave us those emotions because we are made in the image of God. So we have these, we have, you know, all the way from A to Z, it's just like a swirl of, of, of love and passion and intimacy, you know, of laughter and joy. And so we get to experience these things, but this is who God is. And so, so getting in the scriptures and being able to really dig deep like a, like a Berean and search out the heart of God, not just the stories of God, makes us come alive and we go, that's right, that's right. I know who you are, God. I'm being captivated by that particular emotion that you're showing me. So I really encourage you there. Um, and then the other is to contend for the purpose of God's heart. The full power and promises of our destiny in God, especially to build. And, and David said this. What was David's, the longing of David's heart was to build a resting place for God. He said, God, I want to build you a house. I want to make you a place where you can come and you can dwell in me. And, and let me tell you something. The main objective for all of us is that we would be a resting place for God and that we would build a house. Now, God may say to you, hey, I want you to go to the nations. I want you, and he may have a whole laundry list of things that he's prepared for you for your life. But the primary thing that he has prepared for us is that we would be a resting place for his presence. And so David said, I'm going to contend for the purposes of God in your heart. And I want to just speak quite frankly to us because we're the busiest people on the earth. We make a beehive look like they're lazy, okay? Um, And bees are always working, 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 working. That's why they call them working bees. 
it took me a long time of encountering God in the place of prayer until I finally sat down on the inside and really gave up so much of my life. Well, all of it, really. Really, all of it. John was just talking about 100% surrender. I surrender all. And Covey said to you, if you're holding on to something, you're like holding on to the 1%. You've given the 99%, but you're holding on to that 1% so tight. I'm telling you, God, that's a divided mind. And you can't get to where you're going because you'll be dragging around that 1% and it will feel like an anvil on your head. And so just that whole surrendering all, when you do that, you really do kind of give up. You give up the game. You give it up. You give it up. You give it up. And he comes in. And you become that resting place for the Lord. So you have to contend for it. You have to fight for it. And then once you get it, you just go, wow, I think I lost 10 pounds. Praise the Lord. Best diet I ever went on. So God evaluated David in the same way before and after his life was over. So a thousand years later in the book of Acts, chapter 13, he is established in Scripture as God's standard of obedience. But it's really funny because it's, it, it's not that he didn't sin, but yet he's, it, God attributes in the book of Acts that he, he, he was obedient. Um, Acts 13.22 says, The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. He raised up for them David as a king to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Did you forget about Bathsheba? But look at how David, when he had sinned, and this is how much God cared for David. He had this secret sin, right? Like he's behind the scene thinking, yeah, nobody saw that, you know? I sent her, uh, his, uh, her husband off to war, which is basically murder because he put him on the front line. He knew what was going to happen to him. And he thought nobody saw him, but God in his mercy and his goodness sent Nathan to say, um, hey, guess who, guess who saw that? Yeah. God has eyes to see. But because David's immediate response was to fall on his knees and repent that he had had grieved God. And so there was a godly sorrow and repentance in his own heart, and he immediately turned himself. What did he do? He didn't go hide in shame. He immediately fell down at, at the feet of God saying, have mercy on me, O God. And God immediately said, you know, you are received. You're received back. And it's interesting that, that we, there are four different sides to this prophetic drama that was happening when um, when Samuel went to anoint um, um, David. So you've got different sides of the story. You've got God's side of the story, right? And so you've got God, and he's saying, I want a man after my own heart. And and who will, who will eventually be um, uh, the known as the father of Jesus and he will uh, Jesus will be called the son of David and and um and so 
there was a there was an aspect from God. There's an aspect from Samuel's side of the story. So God told him to anoint another to replace Saul. And it was very interesting to me that Samuel was actually afraid. He had fear. Why? Because he said, but God, if I do that, and, and, and Saul finds out, he's going to kill me. So the prophet is now having to anoint the man that's been found after God's own heart, a man who is going to worship him in spirit and in truth. And he said, and, and he's going to take the, the anointing from the religious man who is Saul, who has gotten into the fear of man, who is not fearing God, but he's gotten into religious activities. And he's saying, I'm going to give it to this man who is, I'm going to anoint a new king who is into the spirit, who is, who is worshiping me in spirit and in truth. And it was interesting that he actually told, God told Samuel to lie. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take an animal and tell him you're going to sacrifice an animal. And so he's, he gives him kind of the strategy to get around Saul so that he can anoint David. Come on. And you know, honestly, guys, that's how much God hates religion. That he's like, let me tell you what, I'm going to tell you how to get around that religious spirit who wants to kill you because you are going to anoint a king that's going to lead my people into worship for me. He has the heart after me, and he's going to set Israel on the path, and my seed is going to come through this man. And then there was David's side of the story. Okay, I love David's side of the story. He's just hanging out. How many of you know that just hanging out and loving God is the very best thing you can do for promotion, right? And then you've got Saul's side of the story. And Saul is actually, um, he knows that he's been replaced. And so Saul himself is really looking for who his replacement is because he's, he's, as, as um, the demons come and begin to take up residency in Saul's mind, he's, he has set himself, as he uh, meets David, he realizes who David is and, um, and has set himself to kill him. So there's a leadership lesson here. When God desires to raise up a David, he uses de- demonized leaders um, with a lot of resources like King Saul. So the time of replacement was still not nearly another 15 years. Um, Saul actually died around 70 years old, and David was about 30. But God knew the whole time that he would kill Saul, but he waited until David was ready to rule. So a lot of you and a lot of us in the days to come are going to have a King Saul placed over us. And it's so that we will be prepared to rule. Whenever God is in a period of time where he's wanting to move his people and there's a great transition, every single time, biblically, when his people were in transition, there was an evil ruler in place. Every time there was a pharaoh, there was a Herod, there was someone that wanted to kill God's people 
and destroy the promises of God. And it prepared the people of God to be who they needed to be in order that the, the destiny and, and of God and the promises of God would be seen in the land. So if you have someone over you who is terrorizing you, you're in good company. You're just in a season of preparation. Um, I want to talk about the spiritual identity of David and how it was based in intimacy and, and meekness. Because it was really a, um, it was really a witness to um, who Jesus would be as he followed in his footsteps. The primary way in which David saw himself and he measured himself or he evaluated his success was not by what he accomplished for God, but it was how much he grew in love with God. Let me say that again. He did not measure his success by what he accomplished for God, but he measured his success in how much he grew in love with God. And if you grow in love with God, then you will grow in love with people. It is a, it is a byproduct of your passion for Jesus. That was his spiritual identity, was intimacy with God. And what happened was this kind of intimacy with God actually produced the meekness that in, what was in David that was talked about over and over again. If you look at David, he was not a mean king. He was very mild in his leadership. Do you remember that? Remember Absalom? You know, his son that betrayed him, his own son that betrayed him. Remember his response. It wasn't like, I'm going to spank that boy. I'm going to put him in timeout. You know, his response was he began to weep and cry. And his leaders were like, you need to kill him. And he's like, no, forget it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to take his life. I'm not going to kill him. In fact, he ended up killing the guy that came to give him a report of his death. So his leadership was that of meekness. And if you look at how Jesus described himself, Jesus described himself as being humble in heart, and lowly. He was a meek God. He was a humble God, wasn't he? His number one desire was to be with his dad. His number one desire was to be with God. You know, I was... Um, hanging out the house a couple of weeks ago, and Samuel, my son, said to me, you know, Mom, it's been a while since you and I, um, like, had a Samuel mommy day. Now, my son is 14. And I just thought, yeah, it has been a while. And he said, I really, I really miss you. I really want to be with you. You know, I want to spend the day together. And don't you know that as a parent, as a, as a mother or a father, when you hear your child say that, don't you know you drop everything? You cancel all the meetings, everything, because your son 
wants to stare at you, wants to look at you, wants to look in your eyes and wants to spend time with you. And then I was taking care, I was putting Judah to bed last night. And he said, Gigi, I want to go back to the farm with you and Pa. And I was just really caught. I mean, we took him to the ranch um, like three or four months ago. And, um, and it was just him. It wasn't the other kids. So we got to spend one-on-one time with him. And he said, because I asked him, you know, what is the thing that you, that you want to do most of all? And so I'm looking for whatever, you know, I want to play with my Christmas gifts. I want to, you know, da-da-da. And he said, I want to go back with you. And I just thought, I mean, my heart just went, he wants to be with me. As a, as a, as a grandparent, my grandson. And so it's like, Irk, stop everything. Let's start making the plans so that I can be with him. Do you know that when you stop your busy life, that your dad stops everything? It says that when you draw near to him, he draws near to you. He cannot wait for that friendship. He cannot wait for that time with you. And his heart is so blessed that you would want to come and be with him. He's like, yes, I say yes to you. You're mine and I am yours. So really the, 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 the beauty and the inheritance that David left us was a life of of the tabernacle of David. This tabernacle of David is a tabernacle of intimacy. It's a tabernacle of love. You know, it's not about, um, it's not just about obedience, you know. It's not about sacrifice. It's not like, well, I got to go pray. Guys, there is, there is the God of all of the universe waiting to have a conversation with you. Waiting to hear about the things that, that, that make your heart scared. The things that I go to God and I say, God, I'm really scared about this. This makes me scared. You know, I don't talk to him in some, like I'm some sort of, uh, you know, I don't talk to him in biblical terms. It's not like, thou art thou the most high. You know, it's not like that. I just am like from the perspective of almost like a, a girl, like I am a girl on the inside. I'm still a child of God, and I approach him in the simplicity of my weakness, just saying, you know what? I'm so scared. I mean, we're doing the communion school right now, and I can tell you, I am leaning on God with everything that's in me, going, I don't know how to do this. You told me to do it, but I have no idea what I'm doing. I need you, God, to, to do this for me. Well, you know, this, this house of prayer, I'm like, God, I don't know how to do this, but I know that you said do it, so I'm just in my weakness, God. I'm just coming to you as, as, a, as, as a, you know, as a scared girl saying, God, and his leadership is so good. And approaching him in this way, he just comes and he says, I'm, I've got it, babe. I've got you. Here's how we're going to do this. I'm going to do it for you. You know, because I love your heart that you just want to be with me. I love our relationship. I, in your weak prayers, I just love how you want me. And, and, and that just raptures God's heart. It raptures his heart. I'm telling you, one glance from your eyes causes his heart to leap and run to be with you.
That is good news, isn't it? So uh, why don't we stand and, and let's pray. And um, if you are, are needing, if you are needing um, um, prayer, if you're, if you're sick in your body, we want to pray for you. We don't want you to leave here. People are just getting healed left and right. It's just like, yeah, okay, nobody's sick in this house. Forget it. We'll just kick that infirmity out. So we want to pray for you. If you need a prophetic word, please come up. Don't leave here if you're feeling like you really need to hear from the Lord on something in your life. But if you just want to come up for prayer, if you really struggle in the area of of encountering God in intimacy, if your life, if you're feeling dry in your prayer life, come on and, you know, we'll fill you up with the Holy Spirit again. The Word said that they got filled several times, you know. We leak. So come up and just ask for a fresh dose of, of Holy Spirit juice, right? So, Lord, we just love you and we bless you and we thank you, Father, for for. King David. We thank you for this man, God. I know that he was up in heaven today, and he's like, oh, they're talking about me. Isn't that awesome? Woo! I'm listening. And so, Father, I just thank you for that, God. I thank you that he was a witness um, to us of, of, of Jesus and, and of you, God. He showed us, showed us a side of you that is so beautiful. So, God, would you just give us a revelation of your emotions. Would you give us a revelation of this kind of passion, God? God, I want my heart to grow even more in passion for you. I want to write songs to you, even though I don't know how. God, I want to, I want the language of my heart to be communicated to everyone around me so that they say, I want to know that God, you know, because I don't know him like that. So God, awaken us in love. Awaken us in love. And that's our prayer today, God. We just love you and we bless you. And we thank you for Jesus. Amen.